I was drinking alone and it was a beautiful day and a man goes running by the front of the house and I could see him from the lake. And I had this like internal conversation with myself where I was, you know, how do I become like that man? How do I wake up on a beautiful day and want to better myself and be healthy instead of just binge drinking in the lake? Welcome to the show that drops in on people's moments of clarity surrounding their choice to not drink. I'm Kate Madry, and I'm so happy you're here. Sobriety is like a thumbprint, and just like your skincare routine or your self-care routine, everyone's sober care routine is very different. By the end of each conversation, you'll leave with a little bit more insight to help guide you while building your sober care routine. This is a Clear-Headed Podcast. Today's conversation is with Rachel, the founder of Sober in Central Park. We talk about the importance of community and connection, how to have fun in sobriety, and even ADHD. Let's jump into it. Ah, so we'll kick it off with, with the same question I ask everyone, which is if you can like time travel with me back to when you realize that alcohol was no longer serving you, what was that moment or moments like? So two moments definitely pop into my head. Uh, The moment that I first said out loud that I have a problem with alcohol, uh, that was in 2016, um, I think. And I was on a trip with my best friend at the time who was already sober. She was, you know, I think like eight years sober. And we were in Italy and I went out by myself uh, without her and ended up passing out at the club that I was at and two Italian men I didn't know had to take me back to the hotel. And I woke up on the bathroom floor. I think I had passed out in the hotel bathroom floor. I don't know. And she was horrified. She was sober. And she was like, what's wrong with you? Like, what? you couldn't go out and get home on your own? <laughs> um, and I was horrified. I think if I had been with someone else who was drinking, they would have just let it go. But because I was with a friend who was already sober, she was like, yeah, I think you have a problem. And we really, we have to talk about this. And I said to her, it was the first time I ever said out loud, I have a problem and one day I need to stop drinking. Um, I think I said it at the time just to shut her up. <laughs> but I also was really embarrassed by what happened. And thank God we had, were leaving that city that next day. So that was the first time I ever said it out loud. And then it wasn't until June 2020 Um, actually right where I am now, I'm up in New Hampshire at my mom's lake house. And this is where I was during COVID for the first three months. And I was drinking as much as I could, eating as much as I could, doing absolutely nothing. And that's what I thought was going to make me happy. Um, and I was laying, I was floating around in the lake with my dog and I, (laughs) I was drinking alone and it was beautiful day. And a man goes running by the front of the house and I could see him from the lake. And I remember thinking to myself, what a loser running on this nice day. Like, this man's like, why isn't he out in the lake tanning? I couldn't understand. And then another voice came in my head and was like, wait, you're the loser, not the man running. Like, you're the loser drinking alone in the lake by yourself, like on a beautiful day instead of bettering yourself. And I had this like internal conversation with myself where I would, you know, how do I become like that man? How do I wake up on a beautiful day and want to better myself and be healthy instead of just binge drinking in the lake? And uh, 
finally it occurred to me that that man wasn't drinking whiskey until he passed out on the couch every night. That man was probably not drinking like that at all. And if I wanted to wake up and feel great and feel great enough where I would go on a run for fun, uh, I had had to stop drinking. Um, so that was, I had almost like an out of body experience, uh, when that happened. And six months later I stopped drinking. So it was, but it took a long time. <laughs> took a long time. Yeah. Um, those moments are, I can see why they're the two moments that come into your mind because they're similar, but so different at the same time. I, and I mean, do you remember when you said like to your friend that you have a problem with alcohol? Like, what did that weight feel like to you? It felt terrifying. <laughs> yeah. And it's such a big statement to make. But I love that I love that you said one day I need to because I think that's so important for people to understand that they have the option of admitting whether it's to yourself like you were in the pool and saying that big statement of like I have a problem with alcohol. I don't this isn't working for me, but not having to immediately follow it up with a huge plan of action and a huge pivot. Um because like, look at you, you're a great example of how you still get a good result and not have to make that huge change right away. So thank you for sharing that. And when you did, what what did it look like between seeing that man running and the six months? What were some of like the slow burn changes that you made, even if it was just like in your mind, like your perspective shifting what what was changing for you? A lot, actually. So, you know, during those six months, uh, my ex, now ex and my dog, we were nomads pretty much. Uh, we had put all of our stuff in storage and I didn't have an apartment in the city at the time. I didn't have anywhere really to live. And we were at an Airbnb. I mean, there was just no consistency in my life. And mm -hmm. I didn't have a job and I didn't know where I wanted to live. I didn't know what my life was going to look like. And I was scared. I was really scared for my health. I had started getting a pain in my side um, after I had had this epiphany that I had to stop drinking. Um, it was a pain that was so scary to me that that, I think, pushed me over the edge to really try to stop before mm. January 2021 when I officially stopped for good. Um, I, I'm a person where I can't – if I fail at something, I don't know if I'll ever try again. Uh, mm. I am just such an all or nothing person. And I think because I, I had said to my friend and I had said even to myself, today's not the day. I'm not, the day is not here yet where I can stop. And those six months, I, I kind of experimented. I tried to go a day, which I, I made it a day. Then I made it two days. But I wasn't, the intention wasn't to completely stop. I just wanted to see if I was going to get withdrawals. I wanted to see what my reaction was going to be and if it would, the pain in my side would stop. So I really made a conscious effort to go like three days. And then I actually made it, I think, six days. Um, but I wasn't moving my body at all. You know, I wasn't in the city. I was driving everywhere. And, uh, you know, we get back to New York in like September and I started walking again. And just moving my body again in the city, that was really helpful. 
Uh, and then we get into our new apartment, my ex and I, and I started going to Central Park immediately. Uh, I didn't know my way around Central Park at all. I had only really drank in Central Park my whole life. I was scared I'd get lost. But my dog and I started you – no, know, I'm serious. I mean, I, mean, I really – huge. I it is. That. It is. It was embarrassing though because I've lived in New York most of my life and I didn't know my way around Central Park. So uh, we would walk to the park, my dog and I. We would like go just inside and turn around. Like we didn't even really explore the park. We were just like turn around. Um, and so then we, I get to January and my mom got me Quit Like a Woman uh, by Holly Whitaker first coming out for Hanukkah. And she was like, listen, I'm going to do dry January. You want to do it with me? And my sister was getting married. She was supposed to be mar- get married in June 2020. And I had been freaking out about the wedding before COVID because mm. I hated the way I looked. I didn't want to be the maid of honor. I just was not happy. So the wedding was now October 2021. And I was like, this is, I have a chance to actually feel and look good at my sister's wedding. So, you know, well, I'm going to do try dry January. And I was 100 pounds heavier than I am now. And I had tried to lose the weight for the past few years. And I, tr- I decided to do WW the same day I stopped drinking because I was like, you know, I used to drink my points whenever I tried to do Weight Watchers or whatever. I would <sighs> drink all my extra points. It never worked. So I was like, okay, I'm not going to be drinking. So maybe it will work this time. <laughs> and I really just thought I was doing January. I never imagined drink, not drinking past that. And I, I, when I made it through January and I felt great and I had lo- started losing weight and I just felt good, like my anxiety was going down, my sleep, like everything. I was like, let's just see how long I can go without drinking. Like, I, you know, I played like a little game with myself. I'm super competitive. <laughs> So I was like, I'm not going to mess it up yet. Let's let's just keep going. And here we are. <laughs> That's such a good, healthy tactic, I think. You know, sobriety isn't linear for everyone. And I think more often than not, it's not linear. You kind of salsa dance with the idea and that's what sober curiosity is. And But reframing it, I think, to not be such this huge thing is – can be really, really helpful and make it a little bit less overwhelming. I mean, just taking it a step at a time or like an event at the at a time and seeing seems like that method really works for you. How was your yeah, sister's think, wedding? Well, I think the fact that it was COVID played a really big role in that, in my recovery. Um, I've, I think about that a lot because now I, I am a coach and I help people in their first three months. And a lot of people ask me, like, what did you do in this situation? How did this pertain to your first three months? Mm-hmm. And my first three months, it was still lockdown. Like mm-hmm. there weren't there weren't parties. People weren't all meeting up for brunch. People weren't even back in the city. People were locked down and, and just getting their vaccines and stuff. Yeah. So I got I feel like that helped me a lot get sober because I didn't feel like I was missing out on anything. I didn't feel there weren't there wasn't anything to do. <laughs> yeah. So do you when people ask you that like what what's your response as a coach now? Do you tell them it's okay to kind of put yourself in lockdown or do you mm-hmm. say take it a brunch at a time? Like what's your advice? No, I really if you work with me, you pretty much have to hibernate for the beginning. Um I I think for the first 2 months like being around alcohol, if you have a serious problem, is really, really hard. And yeah. 
you know, I think that it's a really selfish journey getting sober and you need to put yourself before anything else. And when you're going to be around people that might trigger you or try to like say that you should drink or you're at a bar, I mean, I think you're kind of putting yourself then in situations where you can drink. Like, I mean, don't put yourself in those situations, especially in the first 90 days, 60 days. So that's kind of what I tell my clients. You can't force someone though to stay in the house. So Yeah, totally. And and we'll get to kind of like your solutions for getting out in like a healthy way. But I want to point out what you said because it is true that getting sober is a selfish act, but in the best way possible. I think so often we hear, oh, it's selfish, oh, it's selfish, or even that voice internally that wants to keep you drinking, keep you in your habit can take that selfish term and really weaponize it to keep you stuck. But to use your first example, staying in that habit that you've been in is in itself selfish in the worst way because you're taking experiences from yourself, you're taking experiences from other people, you're numbing out, you can't remember. And that's not to make you know, you feel bad or like to feel guilty about those moments where you were. But the point is, either way, you're being selfish. So why not try being selfish and removing yourself and focusing on yourself and saying no to things that you think your friends want you to say yes to in order to be able to show up in a more selfless way moving forward? Um I wish that earlier on I had been able to like reframe it that way. So I just wanted to touch on that because I think it's a really good thing to keep in mind. Um, I'm sure you agree. agree. I agree. Yeah. I mean, I think taking selfish – like I used to also see it in a really negative way. And, you know, when you're in addiction, I think that you're just in a survival mode. And you're, even if you act in a selfish manner, you're not actually being selfish because you're not taking care of yourself and and you're not putting yourself first. So once you remove the alcohol and you, you start putting yourself first instead of the, the, uh, the substances or what you think people want you to do or what your friends want you to do, what your family wants you to do. And you start just doing what you want to do. It's like, it's a radical thing. You're not used to it. And people then get feel guilty. And mm-hmm. it's like, why do, should we feel guilty for being selfish? Honestly, I now I'm like, I want to be selfish. Like, I, if it's not bothering you, then why does it matter? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And being selfish doesn't mean that you are all of a sudden like an asshole. Like, you, you can still be mindful and cognizant of other people's feelings and how you speak and how you act and move about things. And that's like the best part I think of being sober is having the knowledge, the experience, and the like wherewithal to communicate 10 times better than I ever could when I was drinking and thought I was being like so fun and funny and the charming. (laughs) I'm way better off. Um, But pivoting to kind of the social aspect how did you get started with Sober in Central Park? Like, obviously, we've now met Central Park as, like, a character in your story. Um, where did you, like, go from there? What What's your journey like? So it's so funny because Central Park, I mean, it was never important to me. I didn't care about Central Park at all. Like, it was inconsequential. <laughs> and, you know, so 
when I started in my drinking journey, my weight loss, just my health journey, right? It was just a general health journey. Um, and we were walking to Central Park and my dog, George, he's an explorer. He's George the Explorer, curious George, like he really is. And so he would try to pull me further and further into the park. And I just didn't want to, I didn't want to go. But finally, I, you know, he always wins. So I was like, okay, fine. We'll explore one path today. And, and then I, we started liking it. And I think before I stopped drinking, I was just so scared to step out of my comfort zone. I was like terrified of like, I don't know what I was terrified of, but I couldn't do things on my own and I didn't want to rock the boat. So every path that we went on was like really cool and exciting and novel. And I felt like we were like taking on the park. And it got to a point where we just, we, we, explored everything below the reservoir pretty much. And we did this massive six mile loop that we created, not the normal Central Park loop, like we created it ourselves. And George would run off leash. Like that was a big deal too. Letting in Central Park, dogs can be off leash before 9 a.m. So he would, we started doing that every single day and it was like our bonding time. And I wasn't used to waking up in the morning feeling good ever, ever. Yeah. Like I think I woke up with a hangover for over 10 years. And so when I was started waking up, my, my body was waiting for the hangover, but it didn't come. And so then I would be like, wait a second, I feel great. And I'd be like, what should we do? And I'm like, let's go to Central Park. <laughs> so it became my new routine was waking up in the morning and walking as far as I could. And I started burning a lot of calories that way. Like I was, my body wasn't used to that kind of exercise and Central Park just became like my recovery, like I convinced myself this probably wasn't healthy, that if I didn't make it to Central Park, I was going to relapse. So mm. George and I, for my first year of sobriety, we literally went in the rain, the snow, the sleet, the ice. I would put on two pairs of pants. Um, we would, didn't, it didn't matter. Like we were going to be there. Um, so at about nine months into the whole journey, so this is like September, 2021, uh, I had broken up with my now ex. He had moved out and it was just me and George. Most of my friends were either out of the city or still drinking. And I was really lonely. <laughs> and I was like, okay, now what? Like, now, how do I hold myself accountable? How do I make friends? I wasn't in AA because there weren't any in-person meetings when I stopped drinking. So I just, you know, and I was like, you know what? Maybe I should maybe I should make an Instagram account to hold myself accountable. Uh, you know, I had already shared about my hundred days on my old Instagram and I was so nervous when I did that. And then I got a ton of messages of people just that I didn't know were sober or relating to my story. So I was like, okay, I'm going to make an Instagram account. What should I call it? And I was like, Sober in Central Park. Like, I was literally just sober in Central Park all the time. That's all I did with myself. So I was like, you know, and I can put up pictures of Central Park. That's what I was thinking, too, if I don't want to post myself. And the first two posts, I didn't know if I was going to post my face. I was ashamed still. Or just it was the stigma of addiction was still very much a thing. And sober, sober Instagram was not a thing yet. There were like a handful of accounts that were share, sharing stuff and but the third post, I did a side-by-side -side. <laughs> because I was like, I don't know. I'm so all or nothing. It was like Central Park, George, then side-by-side -side of me. And I didn't know like what, what was going to happen with the Instagram account, but it did hold me accountable. Um, and then very quickly on, like a few months in, I started making friends. 
And people, someone, the first real friend that I made was, uh, her name's Alex. She has an account called Sober in Seattle. And she reached out to me on Instagram and was like, I, I th- I'm thinking of starting this thing where people can create, you know, a group, uh, like a, a, an account and have free meetups in their, in their cities. Like, what do you think? Do you want to, you want to do this with me? And I was like, yeah, I do. Like, that sounds super fun. And I, I don't know if I would have continued with the Instagram account if I hadn't met Alex. Um, and because Alex then gave me a whole group of friends. She was like, all right, here's Bree from Oklahoma. Here's Michelle from Los Angeles. Here's this one. And she put us all in a group chat. And I immediately had sober friends. Oh. And I was like, whoa. Like, so I went away on my first bachelorette that I went on being was the only sober person. And that group chat saved me in the bachelorette. Like I was, had someone to talk to people got it. Like, and I was like, wow, the power of community and connecting with people who just get it. Yeah. Like there's nothing like that when you're sober and just don't know any other really sober people. Yeah. So that really like, you know, I was like, all right, we got to keep going. (laughs) Yes. The community aspect is so like nourishing And it also, I don't know if you found this, I'm sure you have, but like sometimes I'll be so in my head or think that these thoughts that I'm having or this perspective or these things that I'm noticing are so colossal. And then I share it with somebody who understands why I'm thinking that way, why I'm observing that, why I'm weary or stressed or anxious or having these thoughts. And it just makes it so, it takes the power away from it in the best way that that story, that narrative that's running in my head, like now has a, another observer who like knows what it's up to and knows what's happening. And that that's what I think like community really does. It just takes that monster away or like those intimidating situations away. Like I'm sure you experienced it on that bachelorette, like having something that if you were dealing with it alone would maybe take more mental energy or more time than just being able to say it, have comfort, and then move on. Yeah. I mean, that it definitely helped a lot to know that I wasn't alone. Uh, I will say, though, the bachelorette that I went on, I was over a year sober when I went. And so with people, like, I just wanted to make that uh, clear because I I waited a really long time to put myself in a situation like that before because I was nervous. Yeah. And it was still hard after a year. And having that group chat, it was still hard to be in that situation for the first time. And I think yeah. like anytime we do that and we go on, a, we do something that like the drinking version of us would have loved. And now it's like the sober version of us and we're trying to figure it out. The first time is always really hard. But then the second time is a little bit easier and the third time is a little bit easier. And then it becomes your new normal. Right? Um, yeah. Just like yeah. figuring out Central Park. <laughs> You go to it, you look at it, you go, whoop, I'm turning around. And then before you know it, you have a six-mile course on your own and your dog's off leash and you're up super early. Like, holy, holy, holy shit. That's a big change. It's a really Um, big change. When something else I want to talk about, which is also like I think so relevant to both of our stories, is the ADHD element of – our brains, how we think. And I think planning and kind of like holding yourself accountable can be a really hard thing when you have ADHD. I personally didn't get diagnosed until a little over a year ago. 
And um, so I didn't, I was sober and then I got diagnosed and I was like, oh my gosh, everything makes so much sense from the fact that I didn't have good grades in school to not being able to follow a routine to having a million trillion things going on all the time to reaching for a bottle habitually and with so much urgency every day because I needed to numb. I was so overwhelmed and overstimulated, but didn't know that that was what was going on inside. Um, what has been your journey with it? Like what's your timeline? And I mean, I, I can't imagine yeah. not, sorry. I, I can't imagine not knowing for like a, that long and getting sober and finding out I was ADHD. I mean, I I was talking to someone recently who was who deals with recovery like at a nonprofit and she was saying to me that a lot of the women that come to them get diagnosed with ADHD after they're already there and they're in recovery. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was so fascinating because like for me it was the opposite. You know, I I got diagnosed at 14 or at 15. And I, I feel really lucky now to know to have been diagnosed back then. I also think the grass is always greener. Like when I was 15, I was at boarding school and I was only at boarding school because I was bad. And I almost failed out of public school because my parents had gotten divorced when I was 14. And it was just like this whole thing. So I go to boarding school and there like most half of the school was ADHD diagnosed and got meds every morning. So one morning, a teacher was like, you forgot your meds. You need to go get them from the med lady. And I was like, I- I'm not on meds. <laughs> and she was like, you're not on meds? What? So she was like, you need to be tested for ADHD. And so they tested me, I, like oh, this crazy test. And the woman was like, you are your ADHD. Uh, so I got my diagnosis and they immediately put me on medication. And no one though, and if they had, did say this to me, I don't remember it at all. No one told me you need to be really careful with any substance that is addictive because Mm. you produce less dopamine in your brain naturally. And anything Mm -hmm. that triggers a dopamine release, you can become addicted to. No one said Mm -hmm. that ever. And I saw so many doctors (laughs) over the past 20 years. So I started abusing my medication really young, like Adderall, all of that stuff, like selling it, you know, trading it with my friends taking a ton of it at once. Uh, you know, I mean, we, it was amphetamines, right? Yeah. Yeah. And then I get to college and people are like, yeah, I'll buy that from you for a lot of money. I'm like, yeah. <sighs> I was like, cool. So I started doing a lot of stuff I shouldn't have done because I had that diagnosis, but it didn't, things made more sense. Like, but I didn't know like how different ADHD is in women than in men. And in me- like a lot of the studies that have been out for the past 10 years, whatever, were done in men, not in women. So in women, ADHD presents this like anxiety, internalized anxiety, depression, um, like not the hyperactive mm-hmm. stereotype that we have in our heads. So a lot of women often aren't diagnosed because society is like, oh, they're not a little boy who can't sit still. Right. And so it's it's really interesting, though, how ADHD plays a role in every aspect of my life, everything I do, it, from eating to sleeping to exercise. I mean, if I don't do a, a whole list of things every day, I'm not going to get stuff done. Yeah. And it's it took me so long to, to figure it out and how to hack it <laughs> and not lose my mind. Yeah. It is like, wow, that's so interesting. 
because then I think about my life and I'm like, if I would have been diagnosed as like a child or like at 14, I wonder how different my life would have been. But still, then there's that point of like, even you can have a diagnosis and still no one's telling you the precautions that are actually going to impact your mental and your and your productivity when it comes to alcohol, substances, anything like down the line. Because like the biggest um, hurdle that I faced wasn't my lack of focus or my inability to remember things or like anything from the ADHD list wasn't my biggest hurdle. It was a hangover. It was the constant schedule managing around getting the drink, recovering from the drink, getting the drink again. How do I get the drink? How do I make it into a conversation? So that's so wild, but I believe it that like no doctors warned you about that. I mean, and I'll be honest though, if someone had, I mean, and I, I was also in therapy the whole time. Like Mm -hmm. I've been in therapy because now I know that a lot of the things that I was getting in trouble for when I was younger were just my ADHD coming out and me not knowing that what to do. And I'm a highly emotional, sensitive person already. And ADHD makes you extra emotional and sensitive. And I grew up with a father who couldn't handle emotion at all. Mm. And so that was really tough. And, you know, I didn't realize at the time, obviously I was a kid, but now everything looking back makes a lot more sense. Um, So if I, that's part of my whole thing is to spread the message and to let people know, like, ADHD is not some just like cutesy little thing. Oh, that was so ADHD of me. It is serious as a serious thing that you have to live with. And there are ways though to make your life easier. And it can be a superpower if you know how to deal with it correctly. Yeah. Do you think that, you know, I've always felt like my sobriety journey and I really – my theory is that everybody's kind of sober care routine and as you evolve, it evolves with you. Things that maybe you reached for as like a tool you don't reach for as much now or you need to go back to, it kind of changes and flows. Do you feel like your ADHD routine has been similar in like evolving with you, flowing with you and kind of like uh, finding new tools or is it more strict? No, I mean, I'm not very strict about anything except for not drinking. Um, I've never been a good rule follower. That's like the what I hate rules. Um, my mom actually told me recently, she's like, you were a disruptor. You were always disrupting things from a young age. And she's like, now you're disrupting the alcohol industry. It's on brand. Yes, <laughs> that fits. <laughs> it fits. Um, but the ADHD thing I am still learning about every day. Like, and I'll be honest with you, a lot of my knowledge I've gotten is from TikTok. Mm. It's from TikTok. Totally. I, I still, I, my therapist, I tell her the stuff I learn on TikTok and my psychiatrist and they're like, oh, really? I didn't know that. <laughs> and it's not because they're not good doctors. They just, that information wasn't, isn't, hasn't been like shared around, I guess. Yeah. Like, So I'm sitting here like, okay, I've had this diagnosis for 20 years. I'm sober two and a half years and I'm still learning about my own ADHD. Imagine people that are just getting diagnosed and they have no idea where to start. Yeah. Well, you're looking at one of them. I mean, I (laughs) kind of know where to start, but yeah, I mean, I think it's also, it's kind of freeing to know that you're always going to know more. There's always more to know. And 
not for that to be overwhelming, but for that to be like inspiring. Like you can always know more. You can always keep progressing and keep evolving um, the same way you can with your sobriety and how you stay strong and thriving in it. Um, I agree. Yeah. I think there's also a difference though between getting diagnosed, and I need to tackle this in my research, but between getting diagnosed after you're in recovery, mm-hmm. because you're already on a journey, I think, of self-care and self-improvement and health, right? Yeah. yeah. But I think people who get diagnosed before they stop and they're still in addiction or they're like 20, I don't know. And I think those are people that I'm really trying to talk to, to be like, yeah, don't, don't go down that same road that I did because totally. I wish I had had someone like me to if I had seen an Inst- Instagram wasn't didn't exist then, but I try to pretend like, what if that version of me had Instagram? Like, what could I talk to her and say to her? Yes, um, I I agree. I totally agree. Um, well, I want to wrap up with just getting to know, like, in your sober care routine right now, what is something that you're implementing? A book, a podcast, a meditation, a non-al drink? What's in your sober care routine? Um, my sober care routine now is trying to f- have balance in my life. Um, I'm such an all or nothing person. as I think that's like been the theme of this whole podcast. Um, I'm really trying hard to not be so all or nothing. I don't need to walk six miles in Central Park. We can go for three miles. I don't need to go every single day. I'm not going to relapse if I miss a day. Um, I've established that, you know. So I also, now I do sober in Central Park full time. And I never thought I was going to own my or start my own business. That was never a plan of mine. So as I figure it out how to do this and I – figure out not to, how to work myself into the ground, which I did, uh, you know, <laughs> trying to figure out like, where is that happy medium? But I will say moving my body. If I don't move my body every day and get up and walk and break a sweat, if I don't, you know, like have 10 minutes to myself where I literally sit with nothing on around me, no phones, no nothing, if I don't eat well, my ADHD is not going to do well. And that is my, then my mood's not going to do well. I'm not, I'm not going to feel well. And it's a spiral. Yes. So it's all connected. I get it. (laughs) I get it. Well, thank you so much for coming and sharing about your journey. I'm so excited to continue to follow you along and I am going to do a six mile walk with you whenever I'm in New York. That's my goal. (laughs) I can't wait. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for having me on and, um, I'm always here to talk ADHD and addiction. That is okay, good. my new thing. <laughs> For more guidance on building your sober care routine, head to clearheaded.co or follow us on Instagram at clearheaded.co. <laughs>